All right, well, good evening, everybody. How are we doing? Aren't those some good testimonies? I was, I was sitting in the back speaking through the door. I was like, man, I wish I could see from the front. These are so good. Well, uh, if you turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, we're going to start there tonight. Uh, I'm going to pray, then I'll preach. So Lord, I thank you that you're here, that you're speaking, that you're moving. God, that you have something you're desiring to accomplish in us as a people tonight. And we just yield to whatever that is, God, and say, have your way. Lord, I ask that you will... Uh, Just align our hearts with your heart, God, and that you will shape our thinking tonight, God, so that the expectations, uh, our expectations will become in line with your expectations, God, that we'd be a people that are willing and able to follow your leadership in a better capacity than when we walked in this room tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Amen. Well, I want to talk about tonight... uh, about something, I kind of opened up uh, a dialogue last week, and this will continue it in a different way, uh, but continue some thoughts that I think uh, will be good for us just in understanding how to be people that fulfill the promises that God has given us. Uh, Just by a show of hands, who was here when Rob McCorkle preached the third third night about being people that go to the other side? Uh, You know, that was was a great word, and for those of you that weren't here, you should, uh, I don't know if it's online. I don't think it is, actually, so never mind. Don't listen to it online. But uh, the the vein of the message was that we need to be people who take the promises God has given us and and carry them full term, to actually bring them to expression, see promise fulfilled in our lives, and that there's persecution that comes uh, because of the word. And so I want to talk about... Uh, tonight, something that I, I'm, I'm going to preach out of this um, Mark 4 and pr- the, the four soils, and particularly we're going to look at the rocky soil, uh, and, and we'll look at the other soils um, as well uh, in the weeks to come. But tonight, really specific on the rocky soil, and share uh, about a, kind of a foundational pattern or a rhythm that God uses in shaping us in our walks with Him. And so, uh, the title of my message tonight, I like it. It's, it's real unique. I, I, I titled it, We Are Humans, Not Machines. You guys laughed a little more than last service. Last service, they just like looked at me like, is he saying a joke? I was like, no. I only mess with people when I'm not preaching. Those of you that I've messed with know what I'm talking about. I have like this sick humor where I like to just make up things and get people to believe them. And they're like, dude... They're like, dude, that's not cool. Now I don't trust you. I'm like, don't worry. I never do it when I'm preaching. So we are humans, not machines, right? So humans are organic. Machines are robotic. Humans are fruit-bearing. Machines are productive. Humans are imaginative. Machines are efficient. Humans are always changing. Machines are constant, right? We are human beings, but living in a world that is highly integrated with technology uh, actually has implications upon the way that we think about life. And if we're not really intentional with the way that we engage as a culture with technology, we can actually begin to adapt mindsets that are subhuman. They're actually more uh, machine-like mindsets than they are human mindsets. And if we adopt mindsets, we'll actually begin living lifestyles that are mirroring, mirroring and, and almost aspiring to be machine rather, and it's subhuman. Uh, when we're to be a full expression of a human being. All right, does this make sense to you? You're lying. 
You're like, what the heck are you talking about, man? You just talked about technology, right? So uh, let me just explain. Uh, I want to challenge tonight this secret belief. And I say secret simply because I think uh, we all secretly believe this, but we don't necessarily say it. But I want to challenge the secret belief uh, that what we want is a life marked by constant success, blessing, growth, and fruitfulness. Right? That's actually machine-like thinking. That's not human. Right? Constant growth, constant success, constant fruitfulness, constant blessing. Um, that, that's not human. Right? That's actually a mindset that we're adapting from a machine-like existence. And the problem is, is we often then project that upon our relationship with God. And that's not biblical. Right? Jesus calls us vines. Vines only grow, you know, they bear fruit once a year. Um, you know, humans, you look at athletes. You know, the athlete doesn't say, I want to win the championship every month. You know, like, that would be exhausting. Like, you can't. You have to, you know, you know, Olympic athletes train for four years to really peak at, like, a one-week moment, you know, one-week uh, time period. And so um, I just, I, wa- I want to challenge this belief rhythm of life and a more biblical view of a healthy, fruitful rhythm of life. And the reason uh, I, I, I'm, I'm starting with this is because often what happens is if I have a machine-like expectation of what life should be and what a fruitful life and what a blessed life means to be bearing fruit and growing all the time and external you know, fruitfulness and manifestation all the time, I actually begin to project expectations upon my relationship with God that are not unre- they're unrealistic and they're not godly expectations. And then when I experience anything other than what I just described, success, growth, fruitfulness, I start to think something's wrong and I'm kind of in a crisis knowing what did I do wrong and why is everything going to crap? When actually nothing's going wrong, God's actually just leading us into a healthy human existence because we're humans, we're not machines. All right, are you with me? That's my introduction. Are you excited? Let's go, okay? So the, the, the pattern I want to kind of extrapolate on tonight is um, what I will define as hiddenness and revelation. Uh, and so we have seasons, times of hiddenness, and we have seasons, times of revelation, Right? And in hiddenness, it's when uh, God is hiding from us. We don't necessarily feel him in the same way, but he's actually hiding for us to pursue him. Right? This is where verses like in Jeremiah 29, you'll seek me and search for me, uh, and you'll find me when you seek me and search for me with all your heart. Right? And then we have seasons of revelation where it's God pursuing us and things are manifest and fruit is bearing and healings are happening and boom, explosion, open doors, right? Mountaintop experience. You follow me? Hiddenness, revelation. Hiddenness, man, revelation. Right? And uh, there's a rhythm that I think we can have longer seasons in either one of these. But really, for the rest of our lives, we'll be on a, we'll be on a rhythm in this tension of hiddenness, revelation. Hiddenness, revelation. Right? Does it work in us? Does it work through us? Does it work in us? Does it work through us? The vine produces fruit, then it gets pruned. Then it produces fruit, then it gets pruned. Are you following me? Right? And so I'm going to uh, just talk about this concept of, of hiddenness is really what I want to key on tonight. Because if we're to be healthy, fruitful uh, individuals, we have to embrace hiddenness to the same way that we embrace revelation. Right? And revelation is the mountaintop. It's when, like, you know, I got the Holy Ghost bumps every time I come to pray. I open the Bible and it just jumps out at me. Like, everything's awesome. Right? We naturally like this season. Right? And that's why it's easy to make like an idol about it and say, like, this is what it means to be blessed, man. Right? 
when like that's not really biblical. That's just like what I like, right? So we have to actually train our minds to understand hiddenness and understand what God's doing in this ecosystem, this tension, um, so that we can follow his leadership into either season that he's calling us to and actually yield to it so that he can accomplish the work that he's desiring to accomplish, okay? All right, so uh, you're at Mark 4, um, and we're going to look at the parable of the, the, the soils here, and we're going to zoom in on the, the rocky soil. And so in uh, chapter 4 of Mark and then verse 16 is when Jesus starts, um, he's going to describe the rocky soil uh, to his disciples privately. And he says, in a similar way, these are the ones on whom seen was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Right? So, the rocky soil was where the seed was sown, and immediately it sprung up. Uh, but because there's no depth of soil, just as immediately as it springs up, it also withers away when the persecution, which persecution will come to challenge the word of the Lord, right, that's just going to bear fruit and bring the kingdom. When persecution comes, the rocky soil is completely unprepared to, to carry that promise and continue stewarding it, right? And Jesus equates here, he says that the, the rocky soil is equivalent to people that have no firm root within themselves, right? And if you jump a few verses down, the next parable, which I believe Jesus is offering as a commentary in a way to the last one, is he, he gives us a commentary on hiddenness. And he says, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. So he's actually pulling out this idea of hiddenness, revelation, right? And he's trying to, to he's, he's offering this to help us understand the parable of the seed. So he's saying, yes, the seed gets sown in the soil, right? So it, it gets hidden. But he's saying, look at the purpose of hidden. Don't fear I don't give you the lampstand, I don't give you the light, which he's talking about the promise, right? You're the light of the world. You've been given a seed that's actually going to bring transformation, a message of light to a dark world that's needing it, right? But I don't give you this lamp to hide it forever, right? Because anything that's hidden will be revealed, right? So though it is hidden for a season, it's not for the sake of hiddenness. It's actually for the sake of it being revealed, but he's trying to show there's a purpose to hiddenness, Right, so, no firm root in themselves. Where do roots grow? Right, they grow in the darkness. They grow in the soil. They grow where nobody can see them. Right, so Jesus is saying, if you don't understand and embrace hiddenness, you will have no root in yourself. So when persecution comes, you'll abandon and abort the promise. You won't be able to fulfill it. And I actually believe he's demonstrating with the rocky soil, it's a person who's embraced manifestation. Immediately they received the word with joy and tried to bring it to the market. But they haven't embraced hiddenness, so they have no root in themselves. 
So if we are to be people that are, are deep soil, cultivated soil, where a root system can support the, the fruitfulness that God's wanting to bring, 30, 60, 100 fold, we have to embrace hiddenness and develop deep roots, grounded and rooted in the love of God. All right, we, have to, and we have to cherish, we have to get just as excited about when God's calling us into hiddenness as we do when he's uh, revealing us on the mountaintop, revealing us in the midst of people and community. Amen? So, that's easier said than done. <laughs> because hiddenness is disturbing to us. We don't like the thought of hiddenness. We, we inevitably equate hiddenness to something's going wrong, right? And let me just give you an example here. Pruning is, a, is a, an act of hiddenness, right? And Jesus says every branch that bears fruit, he's talking about grapevines, every branch that bears fruit gets pruned. I'm like, wow, that doesn't really make sense. I usually read that one quickly and then go to the next ones about abide in me and I in you, right? Every branch that bears fruit gets pruned. Right? And grape, how, the, how, how grape vines get pruned is actually called dormant pruning. So they prune them in the winter. Right? So, so just think about this. You're a vine, you're, you're a branch, rather, of the vine. So when you bear fruit, right, so then you go into dormancy. So you just expressed all this fruit. Then you actually go into a winter where you're bearing no fruit. You're like, man, this is kind of interesting. Then you get all your fruit bearing chopped off. Right? Our first thought, most people's first thought is, what the heck did I do wrong? Why am I getting punished? It's already winter. I'm not bearing fruit. I'm already barren, and now I'm getting snipped. Now my open door just got slammed. Now, now my main branches, where I brought the best wine from last season, are gone. What did I do wrong? Right, I had one day. It was last Saturday. I had one day. I went there. I had fallen on my foot after surgery. I was down, and I was just like, why are you punishing me, God? I'm going to be in a pity party today. And then I met, <laughs> I did. I did. And my mom said, you can stay down and bleed for a while. I said, all right. I'm going to stay in a pity party all night long. And then I met with my mentor on Monday, and he said, I just think you're getting pruned. I was like, crap. <laughs> I think I am too. Right? But often we, we go to punishment mentality. So it's like, what did I do wrong? Then we get upset, bitter, frustrated. Some people stay there for elongated portions of time. And what they do is they will not yield to the hands of the pruner. And get this. Grape vines only bear fruit on one-year-old branches. So the reason the pruning comes is so that branch won't be a two-year-old branch next year when it comes to bear fruit. So the problem is if I don't yield to the pruner, I'm actually going to have to stay in hiddenness for another year because I'm not, because we don't understand next season. All right, so so many times, we, because we don't understand what God's doing in hiddenness, we just whine and complain and do anything we can to avoid it, and he'll say, fine, I won't cut you, I won't prune you, but you're not going to bear fruit anymore either. And so we actually create this a lot longer and more painful of an experience because we don't know what's happening because my people perish for lack of knowledge we don't understand what he's accomplishing so this tonight I'm wanting us to get this 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 understanding deep in our minds so that we can not abide in this secret belief that to be blessed by God means I'm always growing bearing fruit being blessed everything always looks like you know 
but to be blessed by God means I'm, I'm connected with him. I'm, if he's pulling me into the hidden place or if he's pushing me out into revelation, I'm just with Jesus. You know, it'd be funny to think of a vine in the winter while it's being pruned, feeling insecure. Am I ever going to bear fruit again? Am I ever going to bring grapes again? You know, they don't, they're not insecure, right? Because they understand, like, this is, this is the process of life. This is what it means to be a vine. Right? And I would argue that we know we trust God, and we know that our trust is not in our strength to fulfill the promise, but my trust is in the Lord when I can be in a dormant season being snipped, and I'm at peace. Because this is what it means to be human, Right? producing, withdrawing, like there's seasons, there's a rhythm, there's a tension here. We're human beings, we're not machines. And it's a wonderfully blessed privilege to be a human being. So what is the purpose of hiddenness? There's some things I believe God wants to accomplish, and I really like this passage in, in Hosea, and I'm, you can turn there if you want. I'm just going to read, and there's about five things that really uh, get revealed, uh, and, and there's more, uh, so I'm not trying to be comprehensive in this, uh, but in Hosea, there's this, uh, in chapter 2, verse 14, there's this beautiful passage where uh, God is addressing, he's speaking to Gomer, who's, uh, you know, Hosea's wife who'd gone back to prostitution, and an analogy, metaphor of speaking to an Israel who had prostituted themselves with other idols, other gods. And, you know, we, we often, I think, get afraid. God gives us punishment for when we're in passages like this. And we're like, you know, the wilderness, the hidden place is what God gives us punishment for when we're in sin. And that's true sometimes. Sometimes that is God's antidote uh, for sin. Uh, but God also draws us to the hidden place because of just really his pleasure. Right? He called Jesus just because he wanted to be with Jesus for 40 days. Right? He, it's the fruitful branches that get pruned. So God can call us to hiddenness because of sin, but he can call us there because of favor as well. Uh, and the point is, in either one of those situations, I don't think it's because he wants to punish. Right? And you will see here, uh, it's really, it's kindness that brings to repentance. Right, so I would say the purpose of the hidden place, it is to produce repentance, which is to change the way we think. And I would say fundamentally, it's to change the way we think about God. Right? But it is not to punish us or to punish the sin out of us. It's to change the way we think about God because when we see God in a renewed lens, all of a sudden the behaviors and the deviations and the bits of idolatry in my life will go away because I see God. Right, so it's motivated by kindness. It's motivated by an intense love that he's actually drawing us unto himself. Right, so it doesn't really matter in the end why you got called to the hidden place. What matters is that you can yield and let the work that God's... So verse 4, place happen within your heart. Is that good? So verse 14. Therefore, and you know, see if you can find punishment in this. This just sounds like the kindness of God. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, draw her into the wilderness, and speak tenderly to her. You know, tenderly. So whisper. That's, that's the language of lovers. And he's, I'm going to draw her. I'm going to draw you into intimacy. All right? And then 
I will give her her vineyards from there. Where do you get your vineyards at? In, in the wilderness. That's crazy. You get your vineyards in the barren place. Right? Intimacy turns places of barrenness into a place of fruitfulness. Right? God wants to take the barren places, right, the scorched places within our soul. He actually wants to bring and create fruitfulness from there. Right? A lot of times we live our lives and it's like I have scorched places. I have places in my, my past and things. And God lets them sit scorched for a while and dormant. And, 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 you, know, and, and you don't touch them. But oftentimes why, when we go back to hiddenness, he, hiddenness, he's drawing us back to those places because he's still wanting to redeem every part of our soul to make it a garden. So I'm going to take you right back to the scorched place, to the barren place, and give you your vineyards there. God's like, yeah, this is just an awesome idea. There, that's where I'm going to make you fruitful. In the place that you never wanted to see again. That's going to be, that's going to be your source. That's going to be your vineyard. That's where the wine's going to come out of. And next, I'm going to make the Valley of Achor as a door of hope. Achor was where Achan uh, took, the, took the gold stuff from Jericho got exposed, and uh, him and his family got stoned, and they called that place the Valley of Achor. Right, so it's a place of punishment, it's a place of pain, it's a place of disappointment. God says, I'm going to make that place a door of hope. I'm going to come into the places where you expect punishment, and I'm going to fill you with hope that I'm good. There's no fear in love because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears has not yet been perfected in love. He's going to call us into the hidden place because there's still the, the places where the little Pharisee inside of us still thinks we got to earn, still thinks we got to work, still thinks that there's punishment coming when my performance isn't quite up to par. No, no, I'm going to redeem these places. I'm going to make those, 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 those pits of, of destruction, I'm going to turn those into doors of hope. See, this, this is the deeper work. And she will sing there in, as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. It's talking about the joy of salvation, first love. I'm going to restore and rekindle the song of first love in your heart. I'm, I'm going I'm to fan into flame the passions of the first day, of the, of the wedding day when, when we first came into covenant. And you sang those songs those passionate songs of rejoicing. I'm going to restore those songs. Right? It, it's a place. The hidden place is where first love can be fueled once again. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that you'll call me Ishi, and you'll no longer call me Baali. Baali, whatever. <laughs> That'll be the next Chevy called. We have the Denali and we have the Baali. <laughs> uh, Ishi, husband. Bali, master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth so that they will be mentioned by their names no more. He's going to purify and refine the little places where idolatry still has strongholds in our life. 
There is a purifying that comes, but it comes in knowing him as husband, knowing him in this intimate, profound way. And he expands upon this, verse 19, says, I'll betroth you to me forever. Yes, I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and loving kindness and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. Yada, face to face, heart to heart. Adam, yada, Eve, they had a son. You'll, you'll yada me, right? He's wanting to bring us into deeper knowing, and that knowing, right, will bring a purification. Right? It's just, it's, it's a deeper work, right? It's not all at once with God. We think, like, sanctification is a lifelong process. Hiddenness, manifestation, hiddenness, revelation, hiddenness, revelation. It's something deeper, right, and then something more fruitful, and then something it's this beautiful rhythm that God's, right? But then, then check this. You see, you see the hiddenness and the, the revelation. You see it in this passage. So then you will know the Lord. You'll yada the Lord. And then right here. It will come about in that day. Which day? The day you know the Lord. That I will respond, declares the Lord. I'll respond to the heavens. They'll respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain, to the new wine, and to the oil. 30, 60, 100 fold. Right, because anything that's done in the hidden place will be revealed. Right, so it's like as God accomplishes this work in us in the hidden place, right? This, this deeper purifying, this sanctifying, this knitting, this unifying, this yada that he's drawing us into. Then on that day, you're going to bear great fruit. It's awesome. You should be happy about that. Is that not awesome? Right? It is awesome, but it's also painful. And the primary way, at least in my perspective, why it's painful is because when we're hidden, we're actually hidden within a community. And what I mean by that is I'll be hidden around other people who are not necessarily being hidden. Right? And probably hidden, but my best friend is in Revelation. Right, and probably it's been really interesting. Uh, one of the big perspectives I've gleaned the last couple of years here is I will see when God begins to reveal someone within our community. I'll see it. And then I will also see, and this has happened many times, where someone in the same family, sometimes the spouse, they're hidden. And I'm like, man, that's offensive. <laughs> like, Lord, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> Couldn't you at least separate us a little further away? Like maybe that side of the room hidden, this side revealed. No, it's like it is just all intermixed. We're all in different aspects of this tension, right, of this rhythm of life that God has us in. And uh, what that creates is a lot of potential for comparison. Oh, my gosh, you're using him. What the heck am I doing wrong? You know, you're using her. She just got saved. I've been walking with the Lord for 12 years faithfully. Right? It, it's very easy to start looking at one another and we can fall into comparison. And I don't think that the temptation to fall in comparison is a bad thing because I actually believe that that temptation is the tension that God uses to strengthen our trust in him if we'll yield to the process. All right? Sometimes I think we, we act like, oh gosh, something's wrong. I'm being tempted to compare myself. No, nothing's wrong. You're simply given opportunity to manifest trust in Jesus in a whole new way that you couldn't if you didn't feel that temptation. 
right? Which is why God puts us in community. We actually need each other. And we know, as I said earlier, we know when we are strengthening the Lord. We know when we've transitioned out of trusting in our own strength to trusting in Him, when we can be dormant and pruned and very much at peace. That's when we know we trust that He's the promise maker and the promise keeper. Right? But if you're anything like me, I found myself riddled with anxiety and worry at times about how I'm going to make sure the promise He gave me is going to come to pass. It's like, well, there's something wrong there. You know, I found myself uh, discouraged in a way. When I'll see other people doing the thing that God's called me to do, they're doing it. I'm watching them do it on YouTube or in person or whatever, and I start feeling, like, insecure. Is it ever going to happen to me? God's like, where's your, where's your trust in? It's like, well, I can't see my path. I can't see my way out of hiddenness, God. Well, I didn't tell you, I didn't ask you if you saw the path. What I'm trying to see is, do you trust me? Do you trust that I'm the promise keeper? That's what he's, you know, cultivating in us. And the reality is that it's very painful to be possessed with promise and be producing nothing. Anybody relate with that? I am so full of promise, but I'm producing nothing. That's painful. It's really painful. And Isaiah 49 uh, is one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture and has probably ministered to me uh, in a way that maybe only a, a few other portions of Scripture have. And I, I, I feasted upon this uh, for years in, my, uh, in, 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 a, in a hidden season. And I just, I'm going to read this, uh, the first uh, four verses here. And I just want you to, to listen to both the promise the hiddenness and the agony that are described uh, in these words. And so this is uh, the prophet, uh, Isaiah, and he's most likely speaking of his own call, um, but then also, uh, you know, a messianic call. And, and really, um, I, I think it's applicable to, uh, to, to anyone called by the Lord, and I, and I think you'll see what I mean by this. The Lord calls, listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named me. He's made my mouth like a sharp sword, but in the shadow of his hand, he's concealed me. He's made me a select arrow, but he's hidden me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I'll show my glory. But I said, I've toiled in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord and my rewards with my God. Right, so you see, I have this call. I've been given this call. You told me you're going to use me for your glory, God. You, you give me these promises. You possessed me. You made me a prisoner of hope. You said I'm going to do great things for your name. You said I'm a sharp sword. You said your words in my mouth. But everything I'm doing is producing nothing. Everything I've done just, just it seems to fail. All the times I tried to exert my strength and produce this crop, it just withered in the sun. It's vanity. Anybody ever felt that way? Why are you hiding me? Why are you sheathing me? Why won't you take me out? Why won't you use me? These are questions 
that are wrestled with in the hidden place. And a lot of the questions, they're good because in the hidden place, God is he's wanting our flesh to be exhausted, frankly. It's like, I just want your flesh to be so tired, it just quits. <laughs> Anybody ever felt so tired? <laughs> I have tried so many different ways to make this promise happen. And it's not. This is painful, though. It's easy to laugh now, but we know there's silent tears. There's the silent doubts. There's the, is it ever? Am I ever going to get there? It's kind of like the kid in the back of the car. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we even going there? I can't, I can't see anything. I think the ocean's that way. Why are we going over mountains in Arizona? The ocean's that way. Go back to California. God's like, just trust me. East Coast is good too, right? No, I'm joking, right? But we, we really have two choices. We have two choices when we experience this pain. Two choices. The first choice is this. We can exert the strength of our flesh to produce an immediate crop, which is temporary and will fade away into vanity. Many do this in an attempt to avoid the hidden place. And it exhausts us. And I think in a way that we all have to discover this for ourselves. It's part of how we discern what is the flesh and what is the spirit. Right? But we don't want to stay on the cycle. Some people stay in the cycle for a long time. They're actually hidden, but they keep trying to butt out. But just like the, the rocky soil, it, it springs up. But just as fast as it springs up, it fades. Because there's no root system. Right? Or, second choice, is I let that pain push me into the secret place. And I let it compel me into the depths of God's heart. There's only two choices. And I, you know, when I came back from Mozambique, I, I don't know that I've ever been more possessed with promise in my life. I'd been searching for, uh, realistically, six years. I'd been yearning to hear the words that were spoken to me by my father when I was there. My natural thing was, all right, it's time. I'm gonna go start bearing fruit. And uh, I came home and he hid me. And it was painful. Preaching to five people when you get these promises and you're gonna build a church, I'm gonna use this, I'm gonna use your mouth, all these things. Preaching to five people wasn't very exciting. And honestly, I think I have more people that were, <laughs> were there to criticize me <laughs> than they were to be fed. So I was actually preaching to three people. I was scared of the other two. Not <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just being facetious, but, uh, you know, it, it was very difficult, and I remember I would go in, uh, I'd go in at nights, and I would stand, I, I only preached in the small sanctuary, because five people in any room small, but in a big sanctuary, it's especially uncomfortable, and it was uncomfortable in the small sanctuary, but the big sanctuary, I'd go in there at night, and uh, in a blank room, I'd just start preaching my heart out. Normally with tears coming down my face, most likely because of the pain of saying, I never know how you're going to use me. You, you've given me these promises, but I don't know how they're ever going to come to pass. I, I remember so many nights being in, in the church just alone, saying, God, don't pass me by. 
Don't pass me by. Put your hand on me. Anoint me. Use me. Fulfill these promises. Don't pass me by. You called me. You put this hope in me. Fulfill it, God. Please don't pass me by. I remember days, literally days. I'd spend hours. I used to go to the senior citizen room in the back of the church because they had this old wooden altar. I'd lay on the altar for hours and say, God, let your fire fall on me. Let me be your sacrifice. Fall on me. Fall on me. Just give me your fire, God. Just give me your fire, God. I just want your fire, God. Hours laying in the senior citizen. There was an old Amish fireplace that I thought was really tacky, and I just looked at it for hours. Saying, I want the fire, but not that fire. <laughs> it pushed me. It pushed me. And I did not have language for this at the time. But I now know what was happening. He was rooting me. He was actually preparing a foundation in me that could hold what he was going to produce here. We've got to use the pain... As energy. Pain is simply energy. Right? People say, you know, pain produces good in people. No, it doesn't always. Pain will produce good if you use it to produce good. Right? It will simply energize your pursuit. It will either energize your fleshly desire to produce fruit in your own strength, or it will energize your pursuit of God. And God isn't wanting to use us in perpetual pain either. Right? Joy of the Lord is our strength. But when we find ourselves in a hidden place, in disillusion, disappointed, in pain, we got to use that pain to push us deeper into his heart. And I love Isaiah 49. And I think there's a really long pause before, between verse 4 and verse 5. I've toiled in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my rewards with my God. Pause. Hiddenness. And now, says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. I'm honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. You find when you emerge out of the hidden place, when you've allowed God to accomplish the work in the hidden place, you find you have a strength and a fortitude you never knew before. You find you have an, 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 an internal Source, you are so rooted in the love of God that whenever circumstantial difficulties comes to persecute the promise that you're stewarding, you have access to a strength that is so much greater. You will not be phased by the scorching sun. You will not be scourged by the affliction. It's no longer my strength trying to produce this crop. I'm actually connected to the strength of heaven that is flowing mightily through me. There's a transfer. Because when we get to the end of our strength, we get into the beginning of his. When we finally exhaust the flesh and give up, we find he is mighty to save. And in our weakness, he's stronger than we could have ever been on our best day. Amen? But it's not just there. He says, it's too small a thing that you should be my servant to take up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. In other words, you underestimated the potency of the seed that you've been stewarding. 
You thought I called you to impact Israel. I've called you to impact the nations. You thought this seed was just going to bear a crop. No, 30, 60, and 100 fold. I'm going to produce a fruit. I'm going to be a light through the nations through you. Right? The seeds that you are stewarding are so much more potent than you think. I was sitting as a 23-year-old in a back room of a church praying, carrying this seed of promise. And now, just a few years later, I'm looking out at all of you saying, how the heck did all this happen? I far underestimated the potency of the seeds that God had deposited within my spirit. And I promise you, you are too. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth embracing it all. Because when God begins to push it out into revelation, it's an unstoppable force. It's the word of the Lord. It doesn't come back void. It accomplishes the thing for which it's sent. But for all this to happen, we have to embrace. We have to embrace the hidden place. Got to ebb and flow, ebb and flow. Because everything that's done and hidden will be revealed. The prayers that are sown in the secret place will be proclaimed from the rooftop. Right? A hundredfold. We want to be a hundredfold people. I'm just going to close with this. And I just felt this specifically for us as a house. And this is David. He's praying in Psalm 27. He says, well, you know, one thing I ask, I want to be, and I want to see the face of God and, and be in his courts. And he says, in the day of trouble, he'll conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he'll hide me. He'll lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And then, listen, he gives us insight. This is what he did in the secret place. And I'll offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I'll sing Yes, I'll sing praises to the Lord. And I wanted to encourage any of you, just felt prompting particularly on this, uh, that if you are in a hidden season, it's time to find your song of first love. And I, I strongly believe that there's a song that we're each made to sing to the Lord. And there's, there's a union that's experienced, right? And song is simply, it's a passionate expression of that which is within us already. It's, 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 it's this vulnerable, artistic expression where I am bearing and communicating my soul to God. And I believe that your song will take you into a place of intimacy that nobody else's song ever will. And there's something that happens when you sing your song to God in the quiet, in the secret, in the hidden place that does not happen on Sundays and does not happen anywhere else. It's your words, it's your language, it's your vulnerable expression. When you sing it to him, there's a, a, a union, there's a, a, a holy betrothing that takes place uh, through the song. And uh, I just want to encourage you to find that, to pursue that, to, to go into new realms of vulnerability, to discover that place with the Lord. So Jesus, I thank you that you've made us as human beings and not as machines. 
Lord, I thank you for rhythms of, of hiddenness and revelation. God, I thank you that your desire is that we be a people marked by first love and great fruitfulness. God, and I pray that those two things will never leave uh, our, our community. God, first love and fruitfulness. God, and that will only be accomplished if we embrace hiddenness just as we embrace revelation. God, we just want to be so submitted to your leadership. God, we want to be able to follow you into fallowness just as we could follow you into fruitfulness. God, we want to rejoice in you as you're pruning in the same way that we rejoice in you as when you're uh, releasing and exalting us, God. We just want to be so in tune with you, God, that you can just have your way in this community. God, I pray and I thank you that you've put us next to people that are in different seasons than our own. And I pray, God, that you keep us from comparison, but that you teach us how to, how to use uh, the surroundings, the environments you've put us in to strengthen our trust in you because you are the promise maker and you are the promise keeper and you are faithful, God. So we trust in you. We bless you tonight. And God, I pray that you will awaken and release songs of first love all across this room, that when we come into your presence, we come, God, we come with the song of our heart offered in abandoned love, God, surrendered, humble love, vulnerable expression unto your face, God. We love you, and I thank you for what you're doing in our community, God, and we bless you tonight in Jesus' holy name. Amen.